Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. We are on episode 33 today, and we're going to be talking about The Witching Hour by Anne Rice. And I am excited to say that that's what we're talking about today because Number one, I finished it, and that also means that I can move on to some other books. And then I am excited to share it with you because it's definitely a book that should be talked about. Weather in Wisconsin has been wonderful lately. It's kind of that spring tease in April. The week started out in the 50s, warmed up to the 60s, and today it got to 72. A little rainy and a little dreary, but 72, so I'm going to take it. If you happen to hear any background noise, I'm right by the window. So there's some birds chirping, even though it's a little sprinkly out. Again, all the signs of spring. My kid was so excited. He was like, Ma, Ma, look, a robin. And even though the robins have been out for a while, (laughs) he was so excited to see it and knew that that was a sign of spring. Another sign of spring is that I grilled out twice this week. I love that smoky char of the grill. I was grilling out actually and had to go run an errand. And I was talking to a friend while I was running my errand and I was saying, I got to get back home because I had the grill going. And she's like, what, what you're grilling today. And I'm like, absolutely. I like to grill whenever I can in the summertime. And since the weather's kind of been turning, I'm really excited to get the grill going. And then starting to smoke some meats too as well. I love doing that. I'm also continuing to see new listeners joining us. So thank you so much. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as I enjoy sharing it with you. If you have a few moments, please take some time and give it five stars, especially on iTunes and Apple podcasts. This is where it makes the most difference. Any support helps and I greatly appreciate any support that I can get. Thank you so much for listening. Diving right into the booze here. This is not exactly a thriller, The Witching Hour, but it is gothic horror. And if gothic horror does not call for red wine, I don't know what does. Also, it's Anne Rice. She's the queen of vampires. Even though we're talking about her witchy book here, I feel like the red wine is still totally appropriate. This wine is actually a wine that I tried at my parents' house, and I wanted to share it with everyone. It's a San Gregorio Tempranillo from Spain. My folks quit their wine subscription, and I want to say that they had to quit something about the laws in Tennessee, but I can't remember. So they've started buying some wine from Total Wine. And while I was visiting, dang, my mom's closet. First of all, it's a beautiful closet, (laughs) really well organized and huge. And I wish I had all of that space because my closet gets jam packed and I get it organized and then it gets all unorganized (laughs) and I have to reorganize it again. (laughs) I've got like this box of craft supplies. And every time I dig in my box of craft supplies, all my craft stuff ends up all over and I have to like reorganize it in the box and it's just a pain in the butt. (laughs) But anyways, uh, my mom had a ton of wine and I was like, they should have built a wine cellar when they built their house. I mean, they did build their house like 10 years ago. At least I think it was 10 years ago, something like that. Cause I know they moved down to Tennessee before 
my son was born. Anyways, back to the wine. Tempranillo is a type of grape, mainly from Spain, and it's known as Spain's noble grape. I didn't really know anything about Tempranillo wine. I looked up some articles and there's a great article in the show notes that goes into a little more detail, which was really interesting. So if you're into wine and learning about wines, I would definitely check that out. Apparently, Tempranillo wine has the structure of a Cabernet Sauvignon and the nature of a Carignan, which is a wine that everyone must try apparently. (laughs) I really did enjoy it. This specific Tempranillo is said to have walnut and chocolate undertones and I did get that slight nutty flavor but I couldn't have said it was walnut specifically. This wine was 14.5% ABV, full-bodied and a really good flavor. Not sweet but rich with kind of that soft mouth feel. Specific flavors were said to be blackberry, plum, and licorice and I could definitely taste kind of that blackberry berry, raspberry flavor, but the others really didn't pop out for me, which I guess is kind of a benefit because I'm not a huge licorice fan, especially if we're talking like a black licorice, that's not my favorite. And this is from the Total Wine website, which I also linked to the show notes, but it's said to be fruity and have juicy tannins. And I'm not exactly sure what that means, like juicy tannins, (laughs) but it was fruity without being too sweet. And one I actually might pick up at Total Wine here in Milwaukee. I would say this is a great wine for a thriller. So Anne Rice, of course, wrote Interview with the Vampire, which I would say is one of her most famous books, which was turned into the classic movie with Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Christian Slater. Rice was born October 4th, 1941, and she actually recently passed away on December 11th, 2021. I'm sure that I noted this when this happened and was, you know, a little heartbroken because anytime great authors pass, I always take note of that. But I had kind of forgotten that. So when I had seen that it was fair Fairly recently, I was like, oh, that was not too long ago. Ironically, Rice wrote gothic fiction, erotic fiction, and get this, Christian fiction. <laughs> that killed me. So from Wikipedia, in the mid-2000s, following a publicized return to Catholicism, Rice published the novels Christ the Lord Out of Egypt, Christ the Lord the Road to Cana, fictionalized accounts of certain incidents in the life of Jesus. Several years later, she distanced herself from organized Christianity, citing disagreement with the Catholic Church's stance on social issues, but pledging that faith in God remained central to her life. She also wrote The Claiming of Sleeping Beauty trilogy, which is erotic fiction. I tried reading it and And nothing against erotica, but this specifically was a little too rapey for my taste. It got really great reviews, and there's some people that really hold this at a very high standard as some of the best erotic fiction out there. Other people kind of feel the same way I do, that it's just a little um, cringy, and uh, cringy in the way that it's it's rapey, not cringy in the way that erotic fiction can be a little outside people's comfort zones, but just that that rapey piece. (laughs) This is from her website bio. Anne Rice was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. She holds a Master of Arts degree in English and Creative Writing from San Francisco State University, as well as a Bachelor's degree in Political Science. Anne has spent more of her life in California than in New Orleans, but New Orleans is her true home and provides the backdrop for many of her famous novels. The French Quarter provides the setting for her first novel, Interview with the Vampire, and her antebellum house in the Garden District was the fictional home of her imagination 
Dictionary Mayfair Witches. This part says Anne is, but since she passed, Anne was very active on her Facebook fan page and has over 1 million followers. She answered questions every day on the page and also posted a variety of topics, including literature, film, music, politics, religion, and her own writings. She welcomed discussion there on numerous topics. Anne Rice is the author of over 30 novels. Her first novel, Interview with the Vampire, was published in 1976 and has gone on to become one of the best-selling novels of all time. And even though I put this in here, I kind of forgot that that's pretty crazy that that's one of the best-selling novels of all time. I can't remember even if I've read that one or not. I I feel like I have, but I can't remember if I tried and ended up putting it down or if I did get through it, but I might have to try to pick that one up again. She continued her saga of the Vampire Lestat in a series of books collectively known as the Vampire Chronicles, which have had both great mainstream and cult followings. Interview with the Vampire was made into a motion picture, like I said earlier, 1994, directed by Neil Jordan, starring Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Kirsten Dunst, and Antonio Banderas. I forgot about Antonio Banderas and Kirsten Dunst too. Anne's novel, Feast of All Saints, about the free people of color of antebellum New Orleans, became a Showtime miniseries in 2001 and is available now on DVD. Are they still printing DVDs? I'm not really sure. So it's probably available on some streaming service as well. The script for the miniseries by John Wilder was a faithful adaptation of the novel. Anne Rice is also the author of other novels, including The Witching Hour, which we're talking about, Servant of the Bones, Merrick, Blackwood Farm, Blood Cantle, Violin, and Cry to Heaven. So let's get into the book here. And like I said, this book was a beast. (laughs) This was a huge book, and I just had the paperback copy. I can only imagine this in hardcover, what a beast that book would feel like carrying that around. (laughs) This is a sweeping epic family saga following the Mayfair dynasty of witches. It begins within the setting of 1989 and it goes back in time to the early 1600s when the first Mayfair women called upon the spirit Lasher and came into her powers. That is the first thing to remember when you're reading this book or if you're going to pick this up. It's epic (laughs) and it's a saga. So I was immediately drawn into the story of Michael who was rescued from drowning by the young Rowan Mayfair and how he develops visions and magical powers of his own. Then when you're fully invested in the story of of Michael and Rowan, Rice yanks you back in time to delve into the full history of Mayfair Witches, which I was irritated about to begin with. But this is a book where you have to remember it's about the journey, not the destination. And I probably won't be the first time I say that today. Rice is an impressively ambitious writer, and she's an absolute master. There are sentences that I stopped to read over and over again, and there were also others where I had to pause and kind of go, WTF? (laughs) So she's quite prolific in that way. This is paraphrasing one of my favorite passages. Michael likes history because it forces people to stand back and take view of the world. And I think this is done far too infrequently that we become so absorbed in being in the middle of things that we don't take a step back or a moment to view things from a different perspective. So I really like Michael's reasoning kind of for enjoying history. Another great observation was, and this is a quote, the cunning woman of the village only becomes a witch when her powers to heal do not work. Before that, she has everyone's good, 
sorceress and there's nary a talk of devils, which I think is a fabulously astute observation. Women in those days who had power in healing, for example, were regarded highly until they were imperfect. It's no wonder that the desire to be perfect, I think, has been bred into so many women. That's just my opinion and maybe just the thought of why so many women like me and so many women that I know try to be perfect because at least back then their very life depended on that perfection. Her descriptions of the house on First Street, the Garden District, and of New Orleans in general just make me want to drop everything and go to New Orleans. Just, I was reading on Reddit and somebody posted that if money was no object, their dream would be to read books in the settings that the books were written in and specifically mention reading this book, The Witching Hour in New Orleans. And I was like, yes, how amazing would that be? <laughs> so I think that's going to be one of the things that I try to do. Every time I go on a trip, I'm going to find an epic book that is set in the place where I'm going on a trip and make sure that I read that book during my trip. I, of course, would love to travel more. I certainly don't get to travel as much as I would like to, but there is always someday. <laughs> Speaking of Reddit, something I found interesting that was discussed as well uh, is that some people can't or just don't picture places or characters in their heads, which I found fascinating. I definitely understand it because people are so varied and so different. I'm personally someone who pictures everything in my mind, especially with some of Rice's descriptions. And I, I could see where depending on what type of person you are and what type of reader you are, you would like or dislike certain authors because of that. So someone who can't picture things in their head or just doesn't picture things in their head would maybe not enjoy Rice's writing as much as somebody like me who does picture things in their head or is familiar with New Orleans and able to, to kind of create that imagery in my mind using Rice's descriptions. I think I could pick out the demon lasher based on Rice's description. So if there was a crowd of people, I could look and be like, oh, that would make a good, a good lasher. That's the kind of imagery that I like to create in my mind when I'm reading. Rice brings so much of the story to life. The Mayfair tomb, while not real, is located at Lafayette Cemetery Number 1, which is actually the most filmed cemetery in New Orleans. Not surprisingly, it was used in Interview with a Vampire. It was also filmed in the movie Double Jeopardy and the TV show Originals, just to name a few, which if you haven't watched Originals, and you like vampires. That was a spinoff of The Vampire Diaries, which was another great CW show. <laughs> but I really did like the originals and the filming that they did. You could definitely tell some of it at least was in New Orleans. And I really liked that as well. Michael also stays at the Pontchartrain Hotel located in the Garden District. And that's another real spot in New Orleans and is definitely now on my list of places to stay. I read that part of the book where he's seen in the hotel so I could get Rice's imagery of the hotel in my mind first before I went to look it up. And then when I did look it up, it was pretty close to what I had in my mind, but also even more fabulous and phenomenal. And I definitely want to stay there at some point. There are some witchy stereotypes that were slightly irritating to me, such as that witches are born into the family, they're cohorts of the devil, 
They dislike men, although this kind of changes throughout the book because sometimes the witches love men, sometimes they despise men. Also, that witches are inherently evil and want only power. So some of those ideas were, were kind of old and tired, I felt like. I also didn't love Rice's descriptions of Rowan's crude lovers, and that's a quote, crude, she called them, or firefighters and police officers. So she stereotypes them and characterizes them in this way, but then she also immediately contradicted herself by describing one of Rowan's lovers who was intelligent, thoughtful, and caring. I don't know if that was an editorial thing where she talked about them being crude and an editor was like, hey, maybe you need to soften this up a little. And that part was added. I, I'm not really sure, but it was it was kind of weird and quirky and I didn't love that part. What I did like was the importance of the Mayfair women. The gift was passed down to the sons, but it was not as strong as it was in the daughters. And they weren't also considered the legacy witches unless they were the daughters. They also continued to keep the Mayfair name, even if they were married. So the daughters retained the Mayfair name as well. I would have liked to see the sons required to keep the Mayfair name as well. I feel that would have added to that continuity and the importance of the Mayfair name for the family. I was a little confused overall by the Talamasca, and I still am after finishing the book. The group's like a secret society or organization who seem to be witches, as they have the magical powers, but whom Peter is one of the members and father to two of the Mayfair witches, and he denies that they are witches, even though he has power and other members of the Talamasca do. The Talamasca studies and has a long history with the Mayfair witches, continuing to observe the clan and attempts to warn the legacy witch, a witch that's taking over with their powers, the dangers of embracing her power and what that could do to herself and to the family. There are definitely some fun Easter eggs in the novel. Rice reveals Julian, who is one of the patriarchs of the family, has male lovers. One of these lovers bears the name Alistair, which I think is likely in reference to Alistair Crawley, who was alive during the time period that Julian, even though fictional, <laughs> that Julian was supposed to be alive. Crawley was a famous bisexual and he was also known for his sex magic teachings. He was super controversial, and he certainly would have associated with a well-known and wealthy family like the fictional Mayfairs. Another of Julian's lovers bears the surname Llewellyn, Llewellyn being another well-known name in the pagan world. Rice was certainly aware of what she was doing, and there is definitely significance to both of those names. There's some great symbolism as well. The Mayfair family amulet is an emerald necklace that gets passed down to each leg legacy wish. Emeralds have a long history with alchemy, the occult, and magic. Emeralds were said to help with visions as well as protect against unwanted spells and enchantments. Emeralds were also, when placed under the tongue, purported to allow the summoning of spirits, which of course, that's one of the pieces of the legacy which is the summoning of the spirit lasher for their power and control. When Rice wrote The Witching Hour, there wasn't as much discussion of an unreliable narrator as there is now. Certainly, historically, there have always been stories with unreliable narrators, though in reading the book, I do think we need to account for the unreliability of the story. The Talamasca has collected documents surrounding the Mayfair family, but a lot of it is talk. A lot of it's gossip from those who are only in the orbit 
of the outskirts of the clan. There have been plenty of lies and gossip told about me, and I'm just an average and pretty insignificant person. And if that's the case, if all these lies and gossip have been told about me, can you imagine the lies told about a family like the Mayfairs? Of course, even though they're fictional. Almost like a modern-day Kardashians. Though we all know that the Kardashians are not my favorite family, I do really feel sorry for the lies that are told about them and the trolls that try to torment them. There's so much speculation about incest, and while only one of the accounts comes directly from Peter himself, who claims he fathers a child with his daughter, there really isn't any other proof found in the Telemasca files. There are times when the file notes things like, quote, there is little proof or, quote, little information that supports things, but most of it is expected to be believed. Rice, though, expects us to believe what we're reading, both to acknowledge and fear the power of the Mayfair witches and their demon Lasher. Lasher is also an enigma. He's termed a spirit, a demon, and he's also called the devil. Rice doesn't reveal the true extent of his power until the end of the novel, and even then, his full nature is not totally revealed. There is, of course, the follow-up book titled Lasher, so I'm going to go a little bit out on a limb and say that the next novel goes more into Lasher's history and powers. After the long detailed description with the history of the Mayfair Witches, the final parts of the novel feel predictable. While there's certain aspects I expect to be predictable, because again, I feel like this novel is so much more about the journey and the immersion into Rice's writing and world, it's still just a little disappointing. This was published in 1990, and at the time, heavy volumes like Rice's novel were more widely read and published. I still would have liked to see this story broken up into individual stories following each generation. There was such rich detail around each legacy witch that it feels like almost a disservice to not give them more credit, each in their own right as a legacy witch and and developing the powers themselves. It's kind of told from the side of the Talamasca, and I really like it to be more about the witches and about them coming into their own power versus that outside observation. Of course, the reason for focusing on Rowan's story is that she's the most powerful of her line, and of course, there's a culmination of events leading up to her stepping into her power. But if Rice is writing such an epic family novel, it feels like we're still missing so much of the story. And yes, there are follow-up novels, and I probably will not read those, but I I don't feel like that could add in the same way that breaking up the story a little bit would. I don't want the novel to be longer, just again, broken up into smaller novels. And again, I do dislike the perspective from the Talamasca. It feels really cold to me when there was so much opportunity for a richer and deeper story told from the perspective of each of the legacy witches, or even someone closer to them versus the Talamasca. All in all, this for me was a three out of five. I enjoyed it, though at times it got a little too much and I needed a break from the Mayfair witches and their whole history. (laughs) Bryce is an incredible writer and so atmospheric that you're transported to a different time and place. I'm really glad I read it and I'd recommend it to someone who has the patience for a novel of its grandeur, but it's not a read to be taken lightly and it's definitely not for everyone. Goodreads actually gives it a 4.11. Other reviews enjoyed it until the very end when the story didn't seem to fit with the rest of the novel. Feels like slow seduction. And I love this review and I agree it's 
it's the slow unfolding of this incredibly epic story. Somebody said it was their top three favorite novels of all time, which I would not say that it's even my top 10, (laughs) but I'm glad that they enjoyed it that much. Someone else said it was a long-winded mess. Someone else said it was compelling and captivating. Another person said the genealogy of the Mayfair witches was too much, was over the top and not needed. I guess I kind of agree with this, but this is where I got into the idea of maybe breaking things up because I was really interested in all the different stories of each of the legacy witches and even some of the families surrounding the legacy witches. And I I think there's still opportunity for great stories there, but it kind of almost felt overwhelming being jammed into this one epic novel. Someone else said uh, egregiously wordy and overly descriptive, which that part I actually like. But again, when we kind of talked about how people, some people picture things in their heads and other people don't, that may might make sense where that person maybe doesn't picture things in their mind. So the overly descriptive part just gets a little excessive to them. I can definitely see where it's a well-loved novel, but I personally don't need to read it again or continue with the series. Glad I read it though. Media recommendations this week. Younger on Hulu. It's about this 40-year-old woman who can't get hired after leaving the workforce to raise her daughter. After getting hit on at a bar by a 26-year-old guy, she decides to pass herself off as 26 and gets hired. She does not look 26 by any stretch of the imagination, but the actress Sutton Foster who plays her is so awkwardly adorable in the role that I love her. Hilary Duff though steals the show. She is fabulous. And while I'm glad she's doing How I Met Your Father, I'm also a little disappointed that she didn't get a spinoff show based on her character in Younger. It was something that was discussed and then she ended up getting the role for How I Met Your Father. Nico Tortorello is phenomenal as Josh. And while I know that they probably don't end up together in the show, I am totally shipping him and Sutton Foster together. They are super adorable and just seem like the best together. Also, check out the podcast Midwest Mystery Files. Shout out to another Midwesterner doing a podcast. And while the host Jeremiah is ambitious and he wants to release episodes every two weeks. He kind of ends up being more on a monthly schedule. So just be prepared for that. But I do love the podcast and I really love the attention and respect he pays to the victims and their families. I think he's very authentic and caring, which is really important with dealing with these unsolved true crime cases. I say check it out. Keep it up, Jeremiah. You are totally appreciated. You can find me on Twitter at Don't Read Drunk, Instagram at Don't Read Drunk. You can email me at don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. Also check out my website at don'treaddrunk.buzzsprout.com. Again, this is a hobby podcast, so you can donate through a one-time donation on PayPal using my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. There is no apostrophe in the don't. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don'treaddrunk. That is also in the show notes as well. Every little bit helps, so if it's a dollar a month, if it's $5 a month, it all helps. So any of that is appreciated. Thank you so much to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sun Up, who created the music. Aaron is 
awesome and such a talented musician. You can find Aaron and One Up Till Sun Up. That's the number one, U-P-T-I-L-S-U-N-U-P on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, Avenue Coffee House. Just got to see them today for some of my favorite English breakfast tea. You can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. Next episode, we'll be talking about Good Chinese Wife by Susan Bloomberg Casson. Thanks for joining me and bye and talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.